Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Michael Gordon from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Fox and Roach Realtors serving the Philadelphia metro area. For nearly the past 15 years, Michael Gordon has been the in-house marketing director for his wife and partner, Robin Gordon. Michael is responsible for the fast response seller marketing campaigns, experienced with integrated marketing technologies, and works closely with technology partners and vendors to ensure that the team's listings get maximum exposure in the local marketplace. With Michael's experience and assistance and under Robin's expert leadership, the Gordon team has achieved over $1.25 billion in career sales and exceeded $159 million in sales in 2014. Now, let's welcome Michael to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, listeners, this is a bit of a homecoming for me, this uh, radio interview, because <clears throat> uh, Michael Gordon and his wife, Robin, were one of my personal first coaching clients back in the late 90s or whenever it was. And um, it's, it's fun uh, sharing and having Michael be gracious enough to set aside 30 minutes of his day to share with you the success that he's experienced. A lot of you are uh, wondering how big can you make your practice? How much, like, what's, what's the real potential of your real estate business? Um, you know, and let's just get down to the, the heart of it. How much money can you possibly be making? And, and the thing that you're about to learn is that Michael and his wife, Robin, think huge, not just big, but huge. And as a result of that, they're making literally in personal income millions and millions of dollars per year. And I'm sure Michael won't want to, you know, dry, drill down on that too much because it's, you know, kind of tacky. But the reality of it is, is that in the country, there's probably very few agents that A, make as much money as they do in gross commission, but more importantly, B, net as much in personal income as Michael and Robin Gordon. So I want you not just to listen to what he's saying as far as marketing ideas, as far as things that will make you guys say just, wow, I know a lot of you are going to be really inspired by what he has to say, but I want you to be paying extra close attention to the fact that every single thing that Michael says always drives back down to the most important thing in running a business, and that is profit. It's not, you know, we're not going to talk a lot about team building. We're not going to talk a lot about the raw, raw stuff that's very popular when you go to real estate events. You're going to be hearing from a real, honest-to-God business person who happens to be in the real estate business. So without any further delay, Michael, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate those kind words. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it is interesting that a lot of agents are, they set limits on themselves, right? They set self-imposed limitations on what they're able to do in their lives. And, you know, maybe it's the type of homes that they sell. Maybe it's the, you know, income they can earn. Maybe it's the lifestyle that they feel comfortable experiencing. Did you ever have similar limitations when you and Robin were first getting started years and years and years ago? I don't really think I had I had those limitations. I think that um, I think I started with uh, – with with something that's common among a lot of top producing uh people and that is uh, a chip in my shoulder a chip on my shoulder that is mm. to say that um I think a lot of people that do very well at some point in their life uh were told that they they never could 
or that um, there was something about them that might uh, prevent them from, from achieving big things. And so um, I always sort of uh, had, that, had that feeling that when I grew up, I was in an area where it was very wealthy, and I wasn't one of the wealthy people. So I looked at myself as someone who wasn't as smart, wasn't as affluent, uh, was sort of not as good as some of these others. And so I developed this chip, and it caused me to, um, to work harder uh, than, than anybody else around me. And I think that, um, I think that motivated me to, uh, and I don't know if it's fear or whether it was just uh, competitiveness, but I, I think that motivates me even today. Um, and so I didn't think small. I, I always thought big. You know, it, it occurs to me, we better be enlightening. First of all, not a lot of people, Michael, and I know you're aware of this, outside of the East Coast are aware of the, I don't know what you want to call it, generational wealth that exists uniquely on the West Coast, maybe other places like West Palm, or Palm Beach, not West Palm, but Palm Beach. And, you know, outside of uh, that part of the country, there really aren't very many dynasty wealthy type families as there are where you live. So you grew up in an environment where it was people that had made their money, maybe brought money to the United States from Europe when they originally settled here, people that were part of, that had made their monies originally in the Industrial Revolution, you know, back in the days of Rockefeller and things like that. I mean, that was, you know, in the extended family types, those are the types of people that you rub shoulders with. Um, and so in that environment, listeners, he was dealing with about the most embedded um I would say highest possible wall that you could possibly ever have to climb over because generally speaking, people in that stratosphere where, you know, Michael originally taught me this thing for ages and ages ago, you know, where the air is truly rare, those people are very um, inclusive. They don't like to, in, in the sense that they don't allow outsiders in. So it wasn't just yeah, insular. In, insular. Thank you. There's another good word. I'll be using that one too. <laughs> so, so the reality, but the reality of it is, Michael, is you and Robin, not just you, you had to break into a very closed, almost caste system. And well, how did you do it? I mean, do you remember back well, to the years when you're? Go ahead. I have to tell you, I was I was lucky, and my timing was was great, because when I got involved in the business, there were a couple things about it that I don't think are true today. Um, first, uh, and some of these things are true today, but first at the time, there were, there were really very little if no barriers to entry. At the time, the, the occupation wasn't perceived as remunerative, and there was very little occupational prestige associated with being a, a realtor. So as a result, I don't think back then it attracted the best and the brightest talent. But, but, but enter Bravo TV and reality TV with their portrayal of the Ferrari-driving, Brioni-suit-wearing agent making $150,000 a deal with little aggravation. And I think what happened is reality TV glamorized the occupation, and with it has brought significant new competition to the industry. And, and today, these new entrants are just, they're well-financed, they're treating it like a huge business using te technology and sophisticated systems to really scale their practice. So the result is that this competition now has never been more intense. Fortunately, I was lucky, and I got, I got involved at a time when I don't think it was nearly as competitive then uh, as it is now. Also, um, I, I got in right before the boom in 2004 and 2005 and 2006. 
So I think the timing was good for a number of reasons. Um, I think today, if I were to if I were to start now, I think I'd have a much more difficult time. It's interesting you should say that because we've been observing that to a new coaching clients there, and we we tell the listeners that all the time. It's not like it was. You're right, Michael. It's not like it was 20 years ago, where basically it was like if you can't get a, a job anywhere, you know, if you don't necessarily have the best resume, um, you know you get a real estate license. And if you look at kind of the history of real estate agents, it's kind of a lot of people that didn't necessarily fit into any other industry and or, um, you know, part-timers. And you're right, it is definitely, definitely changing. Um, People are coming to the business with money, too. That's the other thing that's interesting. They're entering this business, seeing it as a business, uh, opposed to the way it was in the past. But going back to the original point, because we do have a lot of actual coaching clients and we have a lot of listeners that that they know there's this magical city on the hill someplace. They've always wanted to break into that market. And you and Robin did the similar thing, right? You guys were kind of the outsiders in this little, you know, golden cage environment of the main line and in, in, in the Philadelphia area. We, you know what? We didn't tell them where you sell real estate. Tell them where you sell real estate. We concentrate on, on an area that's, that's called the main line. And the main line is a series of towns um, where uh, uh, the railroad was developed, um, and there were a lot of moneyed railroad and other executives that built huge estates in, in this area that have since been carved up. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, these are people that were descendants of the Mayflower. Um, so there's a combination of old money and new money. Uh, and, and what we did is uh, back when, back when in 2003 and four when uh, money was available, um, and uh, we got involved with representing builders doing one-off new construction. And we had quite a few builders at the time, and that, that enabled us to really get started on the, you know, on, the, on the luxury side. Now, that has since dried up. There isn't that same kind of uh, construction going on uh, in our area um, to the extent that it was back then. But I think that was a huge. I think that was a huge opportunity for us at the time. Um, what were the biggest obstacles when you were having to sit in front of Mr. and Mrs. Mayflower, fourth generation, very wealthy type, and when they were comparing you against, say, somebody they knew at their private country club, right? Because you were dealing yeah. with that. You were dealing with embedded um, agents who basically had familial ties to a lot of these sellers. They came from the same. Again, a lot of people in the country, Michael. And I hope you. I mean, maybe you're not. You are aware that the environment that's on the East Coast is unique to the East Coast. The sort of very, uh, yes. mm-hmm. you know, Anglophile type world where basically you are from a wealthy family or you're not. Right. You know, right. The bourgeoisie and the proletariat type thing that doesn't really exist in other places. So when you are sitting in front of these people that are sort of the aristocratic old, you know, American families. How did you overcome the fact that you were not from that environment, or were they actually welcoming of somebody who did have a little bit more of an entrepreneurial digger? I think that's the case. I think that the, the, these these folks were just looking for somebody who could achieve results, and you know certainly they're you know they the country club agent um, who who does a few deals a year had the inside track, but a lot of the a lot of the uh, the deals that we were doing were uh, ones where we were in competition, and we just had to flat out go in and make a pitch, and convince convince them that we could get the job done. Uh, um, I, you know, there wasn't any magic bullets. Now, I have to say 
that my wife was Ivy League educated. She went to the University of Pennsylvania. She went to private schools. And so her background was a little bit more um, uh, of a pedigree type background than mine. Um, She she grew up with with, with more money and she was a little bit more connected, Um, not at the level of the people we were talking to, but still that helped us. Um, That helped us from really seeming like an outsider. There was a great interview, Elon Musk, by the way, great interviews all over yep. YouTube with them. And I love, I watched something just the other day, and he was talking about, someone asked the question, like, so what's the key to being successful? And he just broke it down in the most simplistic of forms. He said most people work on the outside 50 hours a week. He said, so if your competitor is working 50 hours a week and taking the weekends off and not working the evenings, and you work 100 hours a week, um, assuming all things equal, you, just from the very fact that you're outworking them, will win. Is that how you guys did it? Sure. We did it with hard work. At the time, I remember Robin had a pager. And so she was, you know, she would get paid. She would immediately get back to people. And, um, and, and these prospects were so impressed with that. They, I, and I think that skill, at the end of the day, I think skills, skills matter. And if, and if you're able to get the job done, if you're able to perform and you're able to show results that you've gotten for others, I, th- I think that I think that, that you know, I, th- I think that carries it. I, I, you know, relationships are important, and relationships can get your foot in the door. But, but I think that you still have to. At, you know, the, the litmus test is what you've what you've done and how you've performed. So uh, we were able to convince you know convince prospects that we could get the job done. How did you do that? Give us some specifics. How did you convince them? We convinced them with uh, track record. Um, we can we convince them with, uh, uh, with 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 sales that we that that we were able to we were able to uh, achieve, and um, uh, demonstrate our success in that way. It's been a while. I can't remember the details of uh, you know exactly what we said, but I, I I think the results were what you know, and they might not have been they might not have been uh, a, a lot of deals at the time, but those that we got. Were, were important, and, and we were able to convince them that we could, we could concentrate on, on them, make them a priority, not delegate them, not, you know, and, and, and convince them that we were, you know, we were going to treat this as a business. So, Michael, we're having a technical issue, and so, unfortunately, uh, okay. this event has, has ended, and I don't know if you could hear the countdown. Mr. No. Producer's trying Mr. Producer is trying to fix it, so, unfortunately, we're going to have to pick up Tim, no can you get back on? Hold, hold on a second. Let me see if we can sure. uh, do it right now. Or rather, now he's going to have to reset the event. Tim, I just unmuted you. What are you going to do? Yeah, uh, we are stuck for today. Actually, it's not letting me extend this. This is uh, the same BTR bug that we were faced with earlier. So I'm going to have to call tech support, and we'll have to bring Michael back on. Okay. So why don't you just make today's 15 minutes? Can you do the loop at the end, basically the normal close? This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.